Welcome to Spark Science. I'm your host, Regina Barber de Graff, and I teach physics and astronomy at Western Washington University. Our guest for this episode is an internationally awarded nature photographer, a conservationist, a filmmaker, and the recipient of the National Geographic Explorer Grant, Gab Mejia. He also happens to be an undergraduate student just trying to finish his degree in engineering. In this episode, we speak with Gab about his swift, meteoric rise from hobbyist to one of the youngest and well-known nature photographers in Asia. Thank you for coming to talk to us because I think our listeners would really love to hear, like you've done a lot in like three years. I remember when I first met you, you were like, I started doing this just a couple years ago and I was, we're all blown away. So kind of, I don't know, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about like your mission in life because I know that you've done lots of talks. Wow, that's pretty a tough question. I've think, seen your interviews, you do it a lot. No, no, but like, I think my greatest mission in life is really, I've learned to advocate my life for wetlands, which is on more conservation and nature. And I think I'm, I'm just here to learn, learn more about, more about like stories. And I've always wanted to use photography to be able to tell these stories about the world, our, our world, especially now at this time, where you have the global humanitarian crisis, the climate crisis, biodiversity loss. Like there's so many issues on the environment that I want to try and give people this kind of um, awareness or like knowledge. I want to create this legacy of stories about the environment. Yeah. You know, you're, you're in a younger generation than me and you see, <laughs> you're still an undergrad. You're almost done. Yeah. Um, almost done. Almost done. Um, and you decided while in undergrad to start this new experience, this new career of being like basically a, a nature photographer, right? And, and yeah. a visual storyteller. So can you tell us how did that happen? Me coming from the Philippines, I have very a uh, tiger mom. Okay. So like really strict and wants you to do a professional career. So in the Philippines, we're not kind of that, we don't have that kind of mindset yet or privilege that, Oh, there's, a career in nature photography there's a career in conservation it's all about like being an engineer a doctor a lawyer so i ended up taking up civil engineering which i am um, specializing on environmental engineering but i realized it's important this kind of scientific background that i need especially when i get into a more serious line in nature photography and it all started because i because of my dad which he introduced me to the mountains. He would bring me to go hiking in the forest in the Philippines. And growing up, that was when I was still 13 years old. And now that I'm 23, like growing up throughout the years, I was really able to see and witness firsthandedly all the destruction happening, the illegal forests, uh, illegal mining companies, the, the deforestation happening in the Philippines. And me personally, having this kind of attachment when I, had, when I was still a child, I realized that, okay, I want the people, the kids to also experience the same thing that I did when I was 13. That's what really led me into this nature photography that, oh, maybe I could do a professional career in engineering and as well integrate like arts and science together. Because people always assume here in our country, in the Philippines especially, that it's like totally separate parts of a spectrum. Every time I, somebody asks me, oh, well, what are you taking up in college? And they realize like, what? You're doing a, a career in photography and then you're taking up engineering. Like, what's the connection, right? Then you start to explain like, oh, it's not always different. Like, 
you have this aspect in photography when you want to tell stories, but you need to back it up with hard factual science. So that's how it all started. I was able to choose like which specialty that I wanted to do in civil engineering. So I chose environmental engineering. If uh, our listeners go and follow you on Instagram, what's your, what's your at? Uh, just my name is, it's Gab Mejia, G-A-B-M-E-J-I-A. Right. And it's beautiful. Just to go back to where we started, we, we talked about how you were the youngest and I was the oldest. I'm never going to let it go. Um, <laughs> Jackson Wild Fellows, we were, we were selected to be part of this uh, film festival and, the, and this, uh, this media workshop kind of boot camp. A, a lot of people there had media experience like I did, or they had science experience, or they had both. And you were there and we would look at your images and they were like mind blowing. And you've had your photography around the world. When did you pick up a camera? Yeah, I actually started picking up a camera about four years ago, 2016. I can still remember it, November 2016. I was borrowing cameras from my siblings or my cousins or my friends whenever I hike in the Philippines. After experiencing a lot of climbing a lot of mountains, hiking volcanoes, I I got to share like these moments I had with the mountains or with these places. I wanted to dive deeper into that. I was, I think, 19. Yeah, 19. But you're in college then. So this is like, you're you're in your major and you're like kind of taking pictures for fun. And you're like, now I'm going to do this semi-professionally. Yeah. So that's how it happened. It was a very tough time, actually. I I tried to balance a lot of things, especially with engineering. It's it's kind of difficult. It's very difficult. There are times when I have an exam. And after that exam, I would uh, ride a bus then go straight to the mountains. Then the next day I would have another exam. So it was like really that kind of effort that I was putting into so much energy. And like looking back now, I feel like, yeah, of course I did study. I would actually bring my notebooks or my school bag in the bus. I would read in the tent or an airplane. And that's what I knew that I actually wanted, that this is what I wanted to do in my life. I was able to willingly go this far to take photos, to go to nature, even if I had all these responsibilities that, that I needed to accomplish. So that's so, when I realized that this is, this is what I'm willing to sacrifice things for. So maybe this is what I really wanted out in my life. Tell me about this Nikon ambassador, then what is that? Yeah, so it was actually a really funny story with this uh, Nikon thing. I actually gave a talk in the mountaineering conference before be about making photos in the mountains in the forest apparently there was like a nikon manager that watched in the conference and she just emailed me and and had a meeting with me and apparently i didn't i didn't know that they submitted my my portfolio to like the nikon asia in japan and they were releasing this new camera called the nikon z6 uh, like a new uh, new mirrorless camera and they needed an ambassador to choose from in around Asia. So I was a really fortunate enough to and really lucky to be chosen as that ambassador. To no, no, that not for like camera. all of Asia, right? Like for Asia's all really of big. Asia. So I was really, really mm. lucky. And I was paired with this other wedding photographer. So it was like a different kind of style of photography. They were choosing ambassadors for different kinds of uh, genres of photography. So, I mean, you're kind of jumping around here. So you like pick up, you pick up a camera and then now you have a portfolio. Yeah. So what, what happened in between that? Like how long, what is the time frame between you picking up a camera and turning your hobby into semi-professional because you get commissioned from somebody yeah. to go into the mountains to like having okay. a portfolio? 
<laughs> it was like around four years, three years, okay. right? Even right now, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm fully professional yet because I'm still studying. I have one more year in college. But actually looking back right now, it just went by so fast. Like the years just went by so fast. And I got really lucky also this one time when I, I was joining all these competitions, photo competitions. So you then, just like enter yourself into these competitions. Like, yeah, I, I entered... I try to build this portfolio, try to build these more stories, focused more on nature photography. So I would try underwater, I would go hiking, or I would go to wetlands to find more stories about culture. So then one day there was like a, this competition. I was commissioned to do an expedition in these volcano islands in the Philippines to document it for the first time. Then when I was going back, apparently I got a text and there was no signal that the whole time. So I, I received like this message like three days later when I finally got signal, it was said like, oh, Gab, you won this international photo competition for Ramsar Convention in Wetlands, which was supported by National Geographic. Right. And I was like blown out of my mind and I could have never imagined it being the top first place. So when it got first place, they sent me the list of all wetlands around the world. So basically everywhere madagascar new zealand canada greenland wherever they wanted me to do a story and they would fund everything so how many of those did you do i only did one it was a one 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 prize thing and then i, I chose to go to the farthest place that i could go to from the philippines which was in <laughs> argentina because <laughs> i don't I, I didn't want to spend like oh it, it even had philippines in the list so if like i would spend my time i would spend my that prize just going somewhere close like in asia that yeah. would be kind of a waste. So I was like thinking, okay, might as well go to the most exotic place that I could find or like the most expensive. <laughs> right, let's, let's make them pay the most amount of money as they possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> We're speaking with conservationist and engineering student Gab Mejia about his first trip across the world. We ended up going to Argentina and Chile in the southernmost city in our planet, which is in Ushuaia. So, so what I did happened a there? story about glacial wetlands, about the receding wetlands of Patagonia. I, I did that expedition in 2017, so that was like a year after I got my first camera. Then after that, I realized, wow, I never knew that how photo, photographs could actually make you travel the world or like... Give you that change, opportunity. Give you these opportunities that that would take me like tens of years just following step footsteps in engineering, right? And on 2018, I realized, okay, there was this Filipino National Geog Geographic photographer. Her name is Hannah Morales. I was asking advice and she persuaded me to apply for National Geographic for this um, Explorer grant that helps photographers start out their career. And I wrote this application about the Philippines for about a year. It was like my thesis, basically. Mm -hmm. Because it it's really like a thesis kind of um, grant application. And I thought I wouldn't get it. And I was just like writing my mind out of it. And suddenly I got that grant. And that's when I became a National Geographic photographer in 2018. And then that's when it all started. So it's yeah. like a really, really crazy thing. Looking back, like there's just so many experiences and um, hardships that I was able to 
live out in this four years. I consider school as my hobby and, <laughs> and photography as my real career. Right now, it's kind of more difficult to get these opportunities because my whole career revolved around travel, how I could get to tell stories in the Philippines or in other countries. And now I can't even leave my house. So you said you're pretty lucky, but I honestly think that you're very strategic too. I mean, I, I know you very little, but I've seen you very organized. I remember when we were in Jackson, <laughs> you made like a spreadsheet of like all the people you met and like when, like if you're going to re respond to them, like you're a very organized person. And I think that that organization, <laughs> like you just said, you spent a year on that application for um, Nat Geo Explorer. And uh, the Nikon Explorer of, of all of Asia, like I just want to point out to our listeners that there was one person, so there was six, 17 people picked for Jackson Wild, and you were one of them, and the only person from East Asia. There's one person from India, one person from Asia, right? Like, one yeah. person from, like, Europe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, like, I mean, you, you're a big deal, and I think that, yeah, it, it is um, very frustrating. We have no idea what the travel is going to be like right now, but I think you're going to find something that you're going to apply to, and you're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, pretty cool, like, this, this Jackson Wild experience a very diverse community and how being able to learn from you guys, even all these, these opportunities to be able to collaborate and work together. It's really such a humbling experience. Yeah, I do agree with that. At Jackson, we were given four days to make a, a short film and we were like not sleeping, which Gab was very used to because he's young <laughs> and I was not used to that at all, but I did it. I yeah. did two all-nighters. <laughs> It was a really crazy experience to see um, all of our skills kind of mesh into one. We, we were in these four people groups and in, in my group, there was myself who had audio experience, but there are two people that had really, really high level like photography and like filmmaking experience. It was, it was crazy. I, but I wanted to ask you, you've traveled around the world. You went to Patagonia. What stuck with you the most At, in these three years of traveling nonstop? Because I've been following you on the Instagrams. Uh, <laughs> I think it was really Patagonia. That was really the, the craziest experience that I could still vividly remember every single day of that trip. It just made me realize this is how far you could go in terms of like doing your dreams and reaching your dreams or your career. If it wasn't for that experience, I wouldn't have pushed myself harder. I wouldn't try to do more work and take on more responsibilities. Because right now I could honestly feel the toll of all the things that saying yes to everything that goes in uh, goes into your yeah. face because I honestly consider myself a kind of self-motivated person that I don't really care about a lot of um I don't really care about like things what other people have to say or it, it doesn't really motivate me as much it's like what my own um direction or my own compass is telling me yeah. that I need to follow and that's really what I um the self the self-intuition I think that's the so we've been talking a lot about your career, but when you are going out there and you're doing nature photography, you're doing it because you have, like you said, this goal that you want to show people what we're losing, right? Yeah. And, and your generation, you're so kind. I have here, he is so kind. Who's that? <laughs> Who is that? You, you're so nice. This is Spark Science, and we're talking to National Geographic explorer Gab Mejia about the power of stories. 
your generation is really, really vocal about like climate change and about nature and ecology and like conservation. Yeah. And since I'm old, I would like you to tell me a little bit more about how, how do we, as people who are older, what do the, the younger generation want us to do? I think it's really about listening. Um, the impact, especially with photography, there were times that I, I realized like, oh, would my photos or my stories actually, these, all these articles in Nat Geo or anything would actually make an impact in the local setting. And that's when I realized, yeah, it, it does actually make an impact. I was, just to give you like a brief example, I was working on this story about wetland, marshlands in the Philippines called the Abusan. So it was funded by National Geographic. And I, I had to create this story and I used the story about the fires of our climate crisis, how these news, this was the first time that I, uh, I covered fires on, on peatlands. So it was the first time that the what government, peatlands? peatlands or wetlands, so basically wetlands that are um, very high carbon. So it doesn't decay easily. So it's kind of like soil that, that's really rich in nutrients and everything and a lot of biodiversity and they could get on fire because they're like decaying to a lot of carbon. So it was the first time like these fires are happening because of the climate crisis, because droughts are strong, uh, the droughts and the temperatures are increasing and the annual water levels are decreasing in this, in this part of the Philippines. So I had to do this story and it was the first time that, I, um, that was um, published and documented about it. And it was the first time also that like the, the governor the, the one working, the, the, the authority in the, the province actually heard about it, realizing oh, that, wow. wow, okay, so you don't see th these stories at all about the, the climate crisis. And like you realize maybe these authorities don't really know what's happening in their area. And, and you realize like, okay, it's not that they're ignorant, like these authority or people are ignorant. It's just that because they don't know about these stories, right? Nobody's telling them these stories. And that's how you get it forward. Like, and then when they start to get aware about it or when they realize the impact of it, then that's when you try to double your force, lobbying for new policies or creating new partnerships or anything. So I really think making people aware, because we honestly all live in a bubble. And one thing I realize is that we're not supposed to assume that everybody knows everything. I, I learned yeah. that in my 30s. <laughs> no, but it's true. Because like... You think like people are ignorant or people are pathetic. Yeah, it's true because the, the people don't know. And like even in social media, especially if we think we're so vocal as kids, like I have a lot of friends as well and colleagues who voice a lot in Twitter or in Instagram or in Facebook, but it's just a very, a bubble. It's a bubble that not a lot of people would get into. And when you think, hey, maybe I'm also surrounded with people who share the same voice and you realize you're still a minority compared to like the whole um, Philippines that doesn't know about the fires, right? But what I realize is like, that's, a, that's how the power of stories are, especially ones that um, are backed by hard science or factual science. That should be actually a, a norm, but it's these stories that really give a stronger impact because people could get to connect with these stories. And that's where really change can come from. Because honestly, I wasn't an environmentalist when I was what, or when I wasn't working in the environment when I was 10 or, or eight years old, right? I had to learn my well, you way. You were going to like elementary school. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to learn my, 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 
um, like this mission of mine, right? Like I, I had to learn it from people, from my dad, from my dad who brought me to the mountains or from mentors who would show me how to do more, to create more stories, right? Where, where we have a lot of teachers along our way and that's the most important thing, like how we could educate each other communally about the environment or how we could protect and conserve the environment. Because I mean, it's it's easy to say like to be vocal and to be educated in just the social media aspect of things, but it's just a small minority. Like you would go to a far flung place in the Philippines, and they won't even know about what National Geographic is. They won't care about that names. They won't care about Jackson Wild, right? So it's really about how you could bring these stories stronger to them and give them that kind of voice and empower these communities and to be able to tell their story to the world. And I think that's how you could really make a more significant impact with whatever issue you're trying to solve. Because it doesn't really have to be about the environment. It could be about social justice. It could be about other things, right? Because you have these viber groups of moms texting each other <laughs> about yeah. treatments that are not are fake, like inserting bleach or what, oh whatnot. God. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Well, but let's, let's end on hope. Shall we, mm -hmm. Gab? Yeah, um, we definitely should. Always, the, I don't know. <laughs> um, there's a student of mine who actually is from the Philippines. Um, she is from Muntinlupa. Is that Muntinlupa? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And she, she, I was talking to her yesterday, and she was talking about companies that claim to be sustainable and trying to help um, out the climate crisis, like you were saying. And are they? And she, she said that she was talking to somebody in the Philippines about turning trash into energy. And I don't know if you know about these companies that are in the Philippines and the waste from it can also be helpful, like to make concrete or help with algae or something. Do, do you, do you know what she, she was like? I don't really remember exactly what that company is, but do, have you heard of this? Yeah. The biofuels companies, there are a lot in the Philippines, especially in like the Southern Morse islands. We studied this actually in engineering, environmental engineering. There so you go, really, back, back to STEM. See, exactly how <laughs> important science is with um, getting engaged in more of the environmental aspects. Yeah, so what about like these um, biofuels? My student was just like, is it legit? You know, like, are, are these good companies? Yeah, they are. But I mean, it's really small, it's just a small percentage of, I imagine, the total amount of people, uh, the population of the Philippines using other alternatives for oil. And honestly, like the big problem with this is they, they kind of sometimes have to import, import the, the, the waste rather than using our waste, our own waste in the Philippines because what? our solid waste management sucks. Oh. So, so, so just it's like a really complicated Literally getting issue. the trash to burn. You know, yeah. burn, I guess burn cleanly is what they were talking about. Yeah. To get the trash is hard just to do, period. Yeah. This is really a very difficult situation. Okay, you want to solve the plastics issues, why not turn it to like fuel, right? But uh, apparently we can't do that if like the plastic is, if it's not clean, you have to like get into a more cultural aspect of things of how people throw their trash right. to the more right. governmental and institutional side of things, the collection of trash. The, the separation. The, the separation like, of trash, yeah. the management. Right. And... Ooh. It's a very tough, tough thing. We have so much trash considering that the Philippines is like the third top plastic polluter. Really? In the oceans in the Philippines. Are we the number world. one? U.S. number huh? one? Number one. No, I don't think the U.S. is number oh, one. Oh, man. 
Yeah. Can't do anything right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, like it's a really big problem for us. Well, I promised I would talk about pop culture. Yeah. But what are the misconceptions about either the Philippines or being a, you know, an environmental engineer or being a Nat Geo photographer or a mountaineer? Like what, what would you like to clarify that maybe is in the media a lot that you're like, that's not true. Or maybe something was in the media and you're like, wow, that was actually an accurate portrayal of the things that I do. <laughs> like a stereotype? Yeah. Oh, uh, what's a stereotype? I don't know. Of mountaineers, there's a lot, right? <laughs> I have yeah, person mountaineers. But yeah, like a Filipino mountaineer, like what the heck is that? You only have islands, right? Not a lot of people would like get to realize, but for me, I say we always want what we don't have. So we don't have these big mountains. So that's what I want to, to climb. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have the best gnarly beaches here in the world. So <laughs> yeah, that's something very different, like to be a mountaineer, especially a Filipino, right? Like it's not something that you see yourself as yeah. in, in the Philippines or like if you're a Filipino, it's not like something you see yourself as like, wow, you want to climb mountains in the Himalayas or yeah I'm go to snowy mountains in Jackson Wild or something like that like yeah what what do you like to watch what do you like to engage with yeah it was really National Geographic the upbringing I had with National Geographic that was really the big thing like my dad had this whole magazines the paperback magazines of National Geographic when I was still a kid and I was just reading it out of my mind encyclopedia books so that's like that kind of media I had in my upbringing. And right now, like the, the media that I, that I watch, yeah, of course, I do watch Netflix if I have time and all that stuff. Do you play Animal Crossing? I wish I had my Switch, but nope, I don't have it right now. <laughs> but it's I definitely, really important. yeah, I think that's the thing. Like people don't think you have time for Netflix. You don't have time for, for like the simple things in life. But you have so, to or you'll go insane. Yeah, definitely. You're going to go insane if you're just all about career, your work. That's why I'd, after the, the four years that I had, looking back, like maybe I'm, I'm good to retire, I think. <laughs> I'd like to thank the always kind and thoughtful Gab Mejia for talking with me about his path into conservation photography. If you'd like to see his mind-blowing photos, check him out on Instagram at Gab Mejia. That's G-A-B-M-E-J-I-A. Spark Science is produced in collaboration with KMRE and Western Washington University. Today's episode was recorded in Bellingham, Washington, in my house, on my computer, during the 2020 statewide homestay order. Our producers are Suzanne Blaze and myself, Regina Barber DeGraff, our audio engineers are Ariel Shiley and Zarek Coakley. If you missed any of our show, go to our website at sparksciencenow.com. And if you have a science idea you're curious about, send us a message on Twitter or Facebook at SparkScienceNow. Thank you for listening to Spark Science.